And it's all about you. Yes, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made. When it's all about you. Yes, it's all about you, Jesus. Let's all bow. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the presence that comes here, Lord. When we thank you for how you're always so faithful, Lord Jesus. Lord, we're thankful that where two or three would be gathered together in your name, that you're there, Lord, whether that be in a sanctuary, whether that be in a room or a house. And Lord, if we'd even be alone in a room and we'd be the only one, Lord, I believe that if we invite you, you'll come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to welcome you this evening, Lord Jesus. Lord, come and move. Come and brood on our hearts, oh God. I pray that where there'd be things that we would need to empty out, let us empty it out, oh God, so that you can come and fill our cup, that you can come and fill it up, oh God. Lord, all the things of the day, all the things of the week, Lord Jesus, the things of our life, the things that we might have held on to for years. Lord, in a moment, you can come and change that, Lord. When you come in the room, everything is different. When you come in the room, everything changes, oh God. Lord, we welcome you tonight. Lord, I pray that you take all that's been sung, Lord. I pray that you take the words that would be spoken, Lord. I, I give myself away. I just pray that you could move in a special way and that you would have your way tonight, Lord. We love you with all of our hearts, Lord. We worship you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to welcome everyone. I'm, not, I'm going to try to move this mic because I think I'm talking too loudly into it or something, but might be too close. Welcome everyone that's here in the visible audience and to everyone that's streaming, uh, certainly... Uh, Thank you, that's all the singing we'll do. Certainly, we uh, wish that everyone could be here. And I, well, I'll just, I think I probably don't love the restrictions just like anyone, but that's just how it is. And God knows, and I was thinking, you know, God knew before this service was ever, before we knew that this service would be done this way. Nothing surprises God. Absolutely nothing surprises God. And I was also thinking about the amazing services we've had in the regular services in the congregation for the last year and how God has just moved. And I can think about the young people's services and how God has just moved. So let's not diminish it now. God doesn't diminish. God doesn't hold back. God does not change. Let's welcome him. Let's welcome him tonight. Brother Andrew is hopefully on his way. I think he had a little bit of a setback with a vehicle or something. So we're here and all is good. I'm a little nervous, but trust that you'll pull here and on the other side of the screen, Amen. and God will have its way. I want to welcome, there's a, maybe a couple people that we don't see maybe here so often, but Brother Nathaniel, if you're watching, God bless you. Brother Adam Schmidtke, I believe, if you're watching, God bless you. And so many people that we might not see here in the building, but I want to welcome everyone that's here. Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelations chapter 3. Verse 20 to 22. Revelations 3. Scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is the message to the Laodicean church age. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him 
and sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Second Kings chapter 4. Start at verse 1. This is, this, this is in the, once Elijah had gone on, Elisha was the, the prophet of the day, and he had a double portion of what Elijah had. Uh, he had, uh, I think, twice as many miracles. One of them happened to be after Elisha, I believe, had passed away. Someone threw the bones of a man that had died in battle onto the bones of Elisha, and resurrection happened in that little cave, in that little room. And here's a story from Elisha. I think there's something about resurrection with Something about resurrection is amazing. This is a different story, but with Elisha. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and also the creditors come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. She was in debt. She needed to pay her debt. She couldn't pay her debt, so they were coming to take her sons as slaves. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thy house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. And he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, the first key, even empty vessels. They had to be empty. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, this is the second key, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons. And thou shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. The vessels had to be empty. And she had to enter into a room with only her and hers. The world was on the outside. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. And something be able, began to happen in that secret room. As she came to pass, and it came to pass when the vessels were full, that she said unto her sons, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. As she began to pour into those vessels, it just kept filling up. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. And the story switches. And there fell on a great on day, and it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where there was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber. I pray thee on the wall, and let us set him for there, let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. God bless you. You can have your seats. I think I, I was thinking about it when I heard that the restrictions were coming down and we'd have to be doing it in a different way and I was just a little bit amazed because God had already laid a thought on my heart that somehow works just perfectly, I believe for everyone in the room, but also everyone that might be in their rooms or in their homes. That The title I have tonight is When Jesus Comes Into Your Room. When Jesus Comes Into Your Room. How many's had Jesus come into their room before? It's the thing that makes all the difference. That little widow woman, we don't know much about her. I don't know the names of her sons. I don't know her name. I don't know where she was from. But there was a widow woman that had a problem one day. 
where she was in debt. We don't know what happened, but her sole source, or maybe her source of income, her husband had passed away, we know. Maybe that was the source of income. Maybe her sons were too young to work. We don't know the situation. But it came to a spot where she was in a spot where she needed help from God. She needed God to move on her behalf. She was in debt. And the income, whatever she was getting, was not matching where she was at. And so she was in a spot where there was a problem. And she goes to the prophet of God, which is a good place to go to. If we have a problem, let's go to the message. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to what God has given us for an answer. And she goes to the prophet and says, I have a problem. I can't pay my debts. I'm in a problem that I can't get out of on my own is ultimately what it was. We might not be in debt like that. But we can get into problems where we can't get out on our own. And Satan has come to take something that we don't want to give to him and is no right of his. In this case, it was her son's. And he gave her a solution. He said, go out to your friends. Get every jar you can get. I'll say the more the better. Get every jar you can get. Make sure they're empty. If there's anything in them, pour them out. Can't mix it with the oil. If there's anything in them, dump it out and get as many as you can get and bring it back to the house. In the chapter before in that book, there's a, there was a battle scene that was laid out, and I won't lay out the whole scene other than to say that the solution became they were in a, there was in a valley, there was, a, ba- there was a, a battle set in array, and Elisha said, go dig the valley full of ditches. The deeper, Brother Branham would say, the deeper you dig, the more water God could pour into it without even going to the battle story. We want to be an empty vessel, and we want to dig deep. That was the key. The first key was go get empty vessels. The next key was, when she came, she shut the door. The outside world was outside. The inside world was inside. And what happened in that room was a mystery to everyone else. What happened in that room, she couldn't have even explained to anyone else. But she saw it with her own eyes. She knew it was real. Anyone on the outside could see the effects of it. And there was something that was left that was tangible. It produced a result. God had been there. God had been there. And that's my entire thought for the day, but that's just the intro. Brother Branham says in the message, door and a door, just speaking after, essentially my entire thought, after, speaking, after looking at Revelations 3, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he says, now this is a very unusual setting. Jesus on the outside, knocking on his own church door. That we see this morning in our scripture reading, it's, very, it's unusual in many ways because it's one of the most pathetic scriptures that there is in the Bible. In this scripture here, for it's speaking of this age that we're living in, it's speaking in this age where Jesus has been put out of his own church, standing, knocking at the door, trying to get back in, and richness and pleasures of the world has drove him from the church until the church just becomes a lukewarm. It's a very pathetic picture of all the other church ages. Dropping down, and now in this we find out that all the other churches in the church ages had accepted, but the last age, Laodicea, which we're in tonight, I trust by God's grace we're entering a bright age. We've entered it. Christ has been taken from the people, and they had put him out of the church, and he was trying to get back. After being taken out, knocking at the door. Very unusual. But you know, and we're in an unusual night, specifically tonight. Sometimes it's unusual things that God appears in. God appears in the unusual because God is 
unusual. He does unusual things. He appears at unusual times, and he is seen at unusual times. When times you wouldn't think you would, he'd be there, yet he's there. Very unusual. He works in mysterious ways. The Bible said his wonders to perform. Therefore, that makes him unusual. And that's the way. We get into a usual trend of things. We miss God, he said. We get into a usual trend of things and we miss God. God has to shake things up sometimes to get our focus right back on him. It's the unusual that brings God many times, the unusual things. Sometimes we get so tied up into a certain creed or something we're trying to serve, and if everything doesn't come just according to the way that we think it should, then we offset it. We're, we're just upset. We're, it didn't happen like I thought. It's not of God. We make a mighty mistake, he said. God shows himself and then hides himself in the same thing that he shows himself in. See, he'll show himself in something, then withdraw himself and hide himself. What does that mean? Like the seed. He'll show himself in a pretty flower, then he'll let it rot. But he's hiding himself in order to come forth again, and God does that that way. He's very unusual. Unusual times, unusual ways, and sometimes little things. We fail to find God many times because it's, we think it's too small. Brother Branham says, just a little farther down, and I was thinking on that a few minutes ago, how when we were talking about the smallness of the chapter or how small a crowd we had, now it's been my privilege, he says, to speak to some great crowds. Bombay, India, I had 500,000, think of it, one meeting. Africa, South Africa, about maybe 250,000 at one meeting. But where I found the sweetest and blessed of all was when we had a little cottage prayer meeting. God is in the unusual place and in the unusual things, and we're in an unusual moment even now in terms of so many things, in the, whether it be the province or the time, and with, without dwelling on that, it's unusual. It's different. None of us in our flesh love this. But God is above it all. God is bigger than restrictions. God can, God's presence goes beyond the walls and the boundaries. There's no restrictions to keep out Jesus. God moves where he wants to move, and no human can hold him back. God is so big, he fills all space and time, but he wants to live in your heart. He wants to live in your heart. Now, many people in this world today are important. Many people are important by today's standards. There's sports stars. There's Hollywood stars. And if we update a little bit, there's YouTube. There's TikTokers. There's all kinds of folks that are important in today's world. And there might be many that we've followed or that we've seen or that we've seen so much of their life that we feel like we even know them. There's people that, you, oh man, if I could meet or they would be pretty fun to hang out with or there would be so many, there'd be so many people that we might have seen just on a screen and yet we feel like we've got a connection with them. Ever think you, you know someone until you spend a lot of time with someone? You know, you ever see that person that you've met, you've seen from a distance, you know, I think I know them, and then like you're their friend for like a year, and then you know them? Probably quite a bit different. Probably quite a bit different. I'll say all those people that we could idolize on a screen, all those people that we could think are something or someone, you don't know them. We don't know what they're really like. We don't know what, how they treat their family. We don't know how they are. But there's a group of people that God has, that God has, that I believe there's something to them. Now, there's also, everyone has a presence and a personality. Every person, every, whether they're online, whether they're in person, whether they're the cool person you see at school or on the other end of the Zoom camera now. 
are there cool people on Zoom? I guess there's probably even stuff like that too, where that's the cool person in the class clown. Does that, I, wonder, I wonder what that happens. Now I don't know. But everyone has a presence and a personality. They have something that comes with them. Whether they're funny or whether they're serious, whether they're, they draw people and they have a ton of charisma, whether they're good looking, whether they're whatever, they have something that comes with them that strikes people. Everyone has a, 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 just something about them, an atmosphere that they put off. There's every, you put off an atmosphere. I put off an atmosphere. Let's let it be the right atmosphere. But, and I'll say, have you ever met someone that was even influential? Every once in a while, you might meet someone that was famous. And if you ever did, how did they make you feel? Brother Branham would say, you know, I've met many a great man who thought they were great. But the great man was the one that made you feel great. There's something to be said about the prophet of our day who was so humble, who was so great, but was so humble and so small that when he would meet you, there was something that he was focused on you or that he would make you feel the great one, I believe. There's a story that Brother Branham would talk about, a, a little girl and, 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 and a man named King George. Well, he was, his name was George, but he was a king. And I think this was the king before Elizabeth, actually, Queen Elizabeth. I'd have to double check, but I'm not sure. But he talks about how there was a story in Canada, I believe, where in Vancouver, I believe, where there was a parade set for King George. And he was going to go down a particular road, and all the kids from school were going to go out and see their king, Canada's king. And they were going to see the man that they, they, this was the king. Maybe they didn't know much about him. Maybe they've seen him in newspaper clippings. He was probably on their coins. But they were going to see him for real. And back in that day, that was incredibly special to see the king. That might have been the equivalent of a prime minister today or someone that was famous. And the, Brother Branham talks the story, and all the teachers turned out all the little fellows out to go and wave these flags, probably the Union Jack. And after the parade was over, why the children were supposed to return to school. And as they returned in a certain school, all come back but one little girl. And the teacher got alarmed that she called the roll and the little girl wasn't there. So she said, I must go find her and took the children. And in the streets they went hunting for this certain little child. And after a while, the teacher herself found the little fellow standing by the side of a telegraph pole, just crying her little heart out. And as she was weeping, and the teacher said, what's the matter, honey? Said, did you not get to wave your flag at the king? She said, yes, I, I waved my flag at the king. Yeah. Remember, this was important to that little girl. This person was important to that little girl. Did you get to see the king? Yeah, I, I saw the king. And she said, well, what are you crying about then? She said, you know, I'm so little that I saw the king, but he didn't see me. There was something that she had put such an importance on the moment. Maybe she had spent weeks looking at the coins or looking at the newspaper and thinking about this person. If it would have been in our day, maybe there would have been someone that we would have been watching and there would have been a meet, you know, whatever it would have been. And there would have been so much emphasis in the moment. And she might have dressed in a way that had her, her little dress on and she was all ready to go and she wanted to wave her flag and she might have screamed and shouted and he didn't see her. In that fleeting two seconds going by, he didn't see her. And it broke her heart. And I can say that in our own lives, there's many times in life we can feel in the eyes of someone great, we can feel like pretty much nothing. There could be someone we're in a room with and there's a room full of people and there's one person that to us, in our own humanity, because we're human and we're stuck in human flesh, we can think, oh, that person, man, if they could notice me. And they do. Or they look at you and they shake your hand. Or, and it, 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 there was no connect. It's just, and that was it. 
and you thought about it for so long. In the, in the working world, you could be looking for a job, and that one boss would be the perfect boss, and doesn't even hardly pay attention. It was nothing to you. You were just another person. In our own lives, we can have those moments in school. You can grow up and you can feel like that person is the person. If I could be like them or if I could be friends with them or if I could have a moment with them or if I, they would like me, we'd get along. I know that there'd be something there and, and, and something happens and it was nothing. They didn't notice you. They didn't pay attention to you. There was no concern. But Brother Branham... Brother Branham would say, now that might be so. You know, she said, you know, I'm so little. I saw the king, but he didn't see me. He said, now that might be so with King George or any other king, and I'll add, or any other person or celebrity or idol that the world could make an idol. But he says, but that isn't so with King Jesus. No matter how little a congregation, he says now to, to a preacher, he'd give you to pastor how small the work seems to be, he says. Just speak to the milkman or the newsboy, he'll see it. You can't do nothing for Jesus. This is for good for anyone, lest he sees it. He, lest he knows it. You must remember, he knows every little thing you do, and he'll give you all the credit. For that's what you've been detailed to do. No matter how small it is, do it anyway. If you want to wave your little flag, wave it. He's in that unusual thing. He says he might win a soul. With that thing that he's given us to do, he might win a soul. And that would be worth 10,000 worlds. No matter what, in this world, we might be not recognized by this or by that or by this person or that person around us. But Jesus knows us. He knows us. He wants to know us. Like I said, he's so big that he fills the space and time in the universe. And he wants to live right in our heart. He wants to. I heard I was fellowshipping with someone the other day a couple of weeks back. And he said, you know... And you're talking, I, don't, I think we were talking about maybe our flesh and our failures and how we can get so down. And we have our emotional highs and lows. And most of the time, I don't know that we feel super spiritual. And, 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 and he made this statement, John, I believe God loves our humanity. What do you mean by that? He knows you're human and he chose you anyway. He knows your flaws and he wants to know you. Isn't that amazing? He knows your humanity, and he loves your humanity. Yes, he, he doesn't want sin, and he cleans you, and he takes you, and he sees those things, and he works with it, but he loves you. He wants to get to know you. He knows everything about you, but it's not the same as fellowshipping with you and getting to know you and talking to you and you talking to him. Now, the presence of a celebrity or a king is one thing the atmosphere, the personality that they might have. But Jesus is different. The presence of Jesus, there's a love. There's an atmosphere that comes. When he comes into your room, there's something that changes in the room. There's a peace that comes. There's a joy that comes. There's a deliverance that comes. I'll say when the enemy tries to come in the room, there's a fight that comes. Because you know that you're on the winning side. It's different from every, present, every other presence. It changes your situation. It changes your life. It gives you strength in life. A moment in his presence, one moment in his presence can make all the difference for you. It doesn't take Jesus long to change your heart. What does it take? An empty vessel. Shut the door behind you. And just enter into the room with him. And let him go to work. And the work will be done. 
When Mary Magdalene was different, Mary Magdalene was different in a moment. She was one way, and then she was another. And I'll quote something to say, and what, what happened in the middle, I don't know, but it was him. And I'll know him for the rest of my life. Mary was different when she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. There was a physical something that had happened with a moment with God. And I'll say with Lazarus, Jesus spoke. And I want to say this. Well, I feel like I've, I want to say, for, for, we've had some amazing youth services. And many have come to an altar. Let me encourage you. That altar was real. When Jesus spoke the word, Lazarus come forth, Lazarus started to move. But what? There was life inside. Something happened, something came alive, and he was still bound by grave clothes. But he was alive. It took him more than a moment to get out of the grave clothes. But it took him a moment to be alive. When you're at that altar and a birth happens, when something begins to change, don't be so concerned if there's still a battle after that. Don't be so concerned if there's grave clothes that you're fighting with. Keep fighting because you're alive. If there's a movement happening, you're alive. Keep fighting. It might take a moment for you to be alive. It might take a couple of moments for you to be free. But there was another part where Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Keep fighting. I'll ask you a question. What makes the Bible true? This is a little switch of a gear. You think about this, how people could say, well, the Bible isn't true. You might hear it in school. What makes the Bible true? All of the other religions promise that what they promise. The, the, in Islam, they might promise a good life by a reformation. And you dress a certain way very holy, and you pray so many times a day, and you act a certain way, and you, by reformation. But what makes the Bible true? Someone could ask you, well, why is it true? Well, you could say, well, all scripture is given by God for reproof and for doctrine. And they might say, well, you're using the Bible to prove the Bible. I mean, I don't believe it in the first place. Right? Well, you could say, well, this scripture says this. But, but what, is, what about the Bible would make the Bible true to someone that doesn't even believe it in the first place? How do you do that? What does Buddhism promise? This is how, I believe this is what you would look at. What is it supposed to produce? Buddhism, what do they produce? A, a great maybe attitude towards creation and maybe a, a certain Zen-like internal something and, and, and a good thoughts. And There are people that would be monks for a certain religion and they would dedicate themselves to something. They would give themselves to something of their own strength. E- atheism, I think it produces depression probably. But what does the Bible produce? The Bible promises to produce, in the Old Testament, God laid out a law that was unlivable by humans, right? So they had to, every time, bring a sacrifice, bring a sacrifice, kill a sacrifice, but it was only an animal. So the blood of that animal could not truly come back upon the human and therefore change the human heart. It wasn't equal. Jesus came, and he died, a human for a human, and unlocked something. When his blood touched the ground and it was a perfect sacrifice that died, then his life could come back on us. So what does the Bible produce? Life. It produces a life that you couldn't live on your own. Not by reformation. Not by being a monk. Not by doing something that you have to work yourself into it and work yourself into it. But when you enter that secret room with Jesus, it begins to live out. How do we know the Bible is true? 
because it says thou shalt not lie and thou shalt this and thou shalt that. And then it gives you the strength to do it. It gives you the life to do it. Not of our own self. How do we know that the Bible would be true out of any religion? Because all of those religions are dead. They have a savior that died and is still dead. We have a savior that not only do we claim lived, we claim he rose, but I know he rose. The proof of the resurrection is me. The proof of the resurrection is you. We know he rose. It lives because it has to live. There's a life that can't, concrete can't hold a flower down. Concrete can't hold a weed down. Life will go. All other religions promise a reformation, but my God promises a transformation of the mind, a renewing. The desires that we had before are not the desires we had now. The things we struggled with before, there might be a struggle with the grave clothes, but inside of us there's life that's pushing out. It's not holding, they won't hold us back. It can't hold back life. What makes the message true? It lives. The testimonies for the last year of God moving. The word that goes forth to make a young people want to come to a church. By today's standards, that's insane. But there's a life. It's not the music that's all pumped up. It's not the lights that are all pumped up. It's a life that lives. It's a life that can come and take my weaknesses and your weaknesses and turn them around and the de- bring it to a place, and I believe we're coming to a place, the quote Brother Brandon would say, get to a place that the devil doesn't know what to do with you. The devil could throw this at you and he could throw that at you and you, you say, boo devil, or you just ignore him and you, you bring out the word and you say, it is written, if the son shall make me free, I'm free indeed. Now, a room what is a room? An odd question, but I like to think about odd questions. It's a place, I would say, with walls, a roof. It's enclosed. You go inside of it, and it's a place where there's privacy from anyone else that's not inside the room. Unless there's a window, but they still can't get to you. Unless there's a way in the window. It can be a refuge from the outside world. Maybe your bedroom is your refuge. When everything's going crazy in your house, you go to your room. It can be your secret place. It can be the place that, that's where you, you're, you're, you, if you have a hobby or if you have something that you're doing, that's where you go is your room. That's your place. I'll say your room, what it looks like, how it's designed, how, if it's messy or not, is really an expression of you. Amen. My room's messy for... Um, Full confession, it's getting better, but, but it's an expression of you. The color of the walls, the decorations, the lack thereof, every, it's, it's, it's your space. You have a certain amount of control over what happens in your room. That's your place. That's where, that's the expression of you. Yes. Brother Ed was talking about booths and the Feast of Tabernacles, how God would, you'd go back and they would build a place, a sanctuary for, for, for a number of days and, and they would just get away to meet with God. There's something about having a secret place where you can meet with God. In the Old Testament, there was three courts for the tabernacle. So there was the, the outer court. It was kind of like a, a curtain fence, you could say, structure. And then there was the building where they had the holy place. And in the outside structure, 
It would type to your justification. When you're saved and you're coming into God, or you're coming into a walk with God, there was justification, and, and, and you would, you know, you'd realize you're saved, and you, you have a new heart, and the, the world is new. And yet, there's no roof over that particular section. And it would be affected by the, the sun, the rain, the clouds. You might be able to hear someone yelling over top of the wall. And your, your mood could, you weren't, you weren't, in a spot where you were just alone with God. There was, there was an outside element. But when you'd enter into the tabernacle and you would be, enter the holy place, there'd be different elements that were in the holy place. And yet, I believe that they had to still change the, the candle. And there, there was a manna part that they had to change. There was things that they still had to do to keep it new and fresh. But when you would enter into the holy of holies, and only one man could do it once a year on the Day of Atonement, that was where something that happened that only he knew about. When he go, the only one that ever knew what it was like in there was the high priest. He was the one that would go in once a year. They'd have to tie a, a, a rope or something to him and attach bells to him, and they'd tie a rope to him, and he would go in, and he, he had to walk right. He had to do everything perfect, and he had to make an atonement for the people. And if, if anything went wrong, if the bells ever stopped, that means that God had killed him because something had went wrong, and they would have to pull him out. It was such a sacred place. When Jesus died... We know that the, the curtain of the temple was rent, and it was opened up so that anyone could look in. And then there was a call to go into that place, but in a spiritual way. There's something about that secret room with God. Amen. There's something about being in a chamber, in a place with God. Another part is, you know, when, when you're in your bedroom, someone knocks on your door. How many finds that annoying because you were doing something? I was doing something. I got one hand up in the back. I'm not going to say who. I was doing something. You're, you're intent on something or you're doing something or you, and someone knocks on the door and it's, it's time for supper or uh, they need something. From, usually when someone knocks on the door, they need something from you. Yeah. Right? There's something that they, they need to get from you. Yeah. There's something that they want from you. There's something they need to tell you. They need your attention at the least. They might be, you know, knocking on your door to sell something if it's your whole house. Or, really, the only other option would be Amazon orders that are piling into everyone's houses right now. I know they're piling into our house. They're giving you something. They're giving you a bill at the, well, at the beginning, I guess. But when they, they, they want your attention. There's something that they're trying to do. But when Jesus knocks at your door, he wants to give you something. He wants to give you life. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open unto me, I'll come in unto him and sup with him and he with me. Brother Branham would say, oh, these little knocks that we all get at the door, that we get at the door. Many times Jesus knocks at our heart's door. That's where the church is today, those little knocks. You feel it, no doubt, right now. What is it? It's Jesus trying to come in, gain entrance to your heart's door. He wants to talk with you a little while. And if you would honor the president, what about Jesus? If you would by no means turn away the president, how then could you turn away Jesus? The president is just a man. He's got to die. But Jesus is your God. He's your judge. Not only that, but that same one is your judge, is now your savior. The reason he's knocking at your door now isn't to be your judge. It's to be your savior. There will be a day. As many times it feels like as when, we're, when we're young people, we're growing up. There's different things. We know that there's things in our life we don't even want in our life. 
but we're fighting and we're struggling with them. And a knock at the door can feel like condemnation, can feel like pressure. And yet, really, what it is, it's conviction. It's real. If there's something wrong, there's something wrong. But God isn't there to be your judge. He's there to say, I'm your savior. I can take you from that. I want to change that. I want to deliver you from that. Now, the president might want to summons you to the army, to army, or he might summons you to do something that would be horrible to do. He might summons you or take, you from some, take something from you, take your children or something to be a servant. He might do something like that, but Jesus don't want to do that. He wants to give you something. That's the reason he knocks. He's got something for you. There's nothing that could be greater than what he's wanting to give you, the Holy Ghost. He's wanting to give you eternal life. Now, I want to say, and you already know it, but the room I'm speaking of when I talk about the room is your heart. These covered with these bars of bone, these, this rib cage, this heart that we've got. When something, I'll say this, the, the real you is who lives in your bedroom when you're alone. That's the real you. Like I said, the, the room might be an expression of what you like for color or what you like for this. But also, the way you live in your room is you. You can live like anything in front of anyone else, but in your own home, I'll say how you treat your family, how I treat my family, how I am in my room, and how you're in my, your room. That's, that's who you are. Because there's nothing at that point that you're holding back for. When something happens to you in your room, for good or for bad, it, it's, it's real to you and you only as well. When, when we begin to feed on good and we begin to, to walk with God in our room, reading and praying, only you and God know it. There's no one checking up often on, you know, did you do this? But the effects of it when you walk out of the room are there. There's a life that lives out of it. And likewise, when we feed on what's wrong in our room, yeah. likewise, when we go down the wrong path, yeah. the effects of it come out with us. Yeah. Yeah. A different spirit comes out with us. Yeah. No one knows what happened in there, yeah. but you and God. Yeah. But there was something that happened in there. Brother Branham says, now I'll, Brother Branham would say, in doors and a door, you say, oh, Brother Branham, now wait just a minute. Oh, Brother John, now just wait just a minute. I've already let him in. Well, maybe you did just that, Brother Branham says, but maybe that's all you just do. Just let them in. You see, many people, they fear the very thought of hell, and they know they're going there without Christ, and so they'll say, well, I'll let them in, sure. He says 30 years ago, 20 years ago, but that might be just all you did. But what if I came to your house and knocked at the door, and you said, step in, Brother Branham, and I step in, but you stand right there, and don't you go investing around, rooting around in my house. Now, you, did you know that inside the door of the human heart, we have little secret compartments. Oh, we don't want to admit it, but it's the truth. We've got little secret compartments. We like to call, we welcome in our heart, but we don't want to make him the Lord of our heart. In that message, he would go on to the little compartments, our private life. Well, this is just, this is the way, I, this is my private life. You have no right to say anything. Well, or, or our pride. Or faith. Let's let faith in our heart. Lord is ownership. That means you let him in as Lord and he controls you. He controls everything. And he says he, he is home. Let's make Jesus the home of our heart. I'll ask the question. We can, we can let him in our heart, but is he welcome? An amazing service I'll recommend. Brother Ron Spencer preaches the invitation accepted from about a month ago. 
Is he welcome in your home? Is he welcome in your heart? Is he welcome on your phone? Is he welcome in who you follow online and what you look at on? Is he welcome? We must welcome him, Brother Branham said. Lord, come into my house. If there's anything, if there's anything in here that you want, help yourself. I'm yours. You are mine. You honor me. The great king, the creator of heavens and earth, has knocked at my door. And I want you to come in, Lord. Lord, be my Lord. Take me. May you do anything you want to, any bad that's in me, any, discover any secret that's in my heart. I pray that. Go in every door. Search me out, Lord. See what's wrong with me. And whatever is wrong, show me, Lord. Throw it out the door. I want you in here. I welcomed you in. Be my Lord. I haven't had that blessing, Lord. Clean me now. Now, we can come to an altar, or we can come to, and it doesn't need to be an altar, we can sit in our pew and God can move. We can be in our room and God can move, whether it be in a devotion or in a service. But there's times where something didn't happen. And it, it didn't. There, the presence of the Lord is there. I, 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 can ima- I know times where I, I felt the presence of God all around me, and I felt like I was here, it was just not doing something. I would point to two things. Were you empty? Was I empty? Was the door shut behind me? Was I really in a spot where God could do something? Did I leave it all behind? Did I empty it out? I want to go into a, the story of, in, in 2 Kings chapter 4. I wonder if we could open in our Bibles. 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha and the Shunammite woman. We'll start at verse verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunam, where there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in hither to eat bread. And he said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make there a little chamber. This is a good start. Make a little room. I pray, welcome the prophet into your home. I pray on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. Make him welcome. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither and turned into the chamber and laid there. And he said to Gehazi, His servant called this Shunammite, and when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken to for the king or for the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What is then to be done for her? And Gehazi had wisdom. Gehazi said, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And in Israel, to not have a child was a, was a terrible thing. It was, it was a depressing thing. It was, just, it was a sad thing to not have a child. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. But when God promises something... It happens. What God promises, he fulfills. If God said it, believe it. 
it'll happen. And the woman conceived and bare a son at the season that Elijah had, Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. And now I want to put us in the spot of this little child. Picture yourself right in the spot of this little child. Think about it. He was a good Jewish boy. He was a child that was born under a promise of God. He was born in a good home. The Bible describes his mom as a great woman. He was born uh, in, in a good home. He was born as a, a promise. He was able to be raised up knowing that his parents would say, God promised you. God loves you. God is, God's got something for you. There's a reason why you're in this home. We would have been in a spot where we were unable. But you're here. And he was under a promise. He was raised in a family that lived under the influence of a prophet. In fact, that prophet was very welcome in their home. I bet you he knew that prophet personally. That prophet might come by year after year and stay in that little chamber. He was welcome in that home. And this was the conditions that the boy was raised under. And one day, it says in that scripture, if we can go back to verse In verse 18, and when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to a lad, carry to him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she took him and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Now, in our lives, we've been raised much like the boy. We've been raised in a good home. We've been raised under a promise. We've been raised under the message of Malachi 4. The prophet is welcome in our homes. But there can come a moment in a young person's life where spiritually you could die. Or spiritually, I'll say, not even to, all the way to death, but so discouraged. Or never have come to life. There can be a moment where no matter the home you're raised in, you know yourself, I'm not where I need to be. I know that there's something that's not right with me. You're fighting with your head. There's pain in your head. Your mind is not right. You can go out and you, could, you might be, and there's something that's not right. You can say, I don't feel right. I don't feel like inside of me that I'm right. But God comes. If we can go to the next verse. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And she called, her, she called her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men, and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon or Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward, slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. She went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, is it, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? She came back, and the answer was, It is well. Why? She had met the man that had gave her the promise. When God gives you a promise, when you're in a moment where something's wrong, but you come to God, all is well. 
And when she came to the man of God on the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, hath not told me. Did I, and she asked some questions, didn't I desire a son from the Lord? Did not I say, do not deceive me? Why is this happening? She said to Gehazi, gird up thy loins. And we know the story. I won't keep reading it. I'll jump down a couple verses in a second. We know the story. Gehazi goes first, brings the staff. Nothing happens. The boy is still dead. But then Elijah comes. The man with the word of the hour comes. God in a man comes, I'll say, not to point to the man. And what does he do? And this is right, I'm finished my service almost. But what does he do? What happens in a room when you let God in? What happens in a room when we can simply surrender to God? When we can empty all of the thoughts, all of our pride, all of our personal ambition and desire, all the things that we want to do, all the things that are on our heart and, that, and let it go. God might give you some of those desires back, but let it go. And what happens when we can shut the door of everything else? Elijah comes in. In verse 30, um, no, in, inver- in verse 32. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. That's a good place to put him. And he went in therefore, and he did this, he shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands and he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. When we approach an altar, when we approach God in the altar of our heart, many times we could say, John, no change happened. That child, remember the condition of the the story. The door was shut. The child was dead. If if the child was moving, it wouldn't have been the same story. It wouldn't have been a miracle. It wouldn't have been life coming in. Life comes in. The quickening power, when, when, when it says that you'll be quickened unto life, quickening means, quicken means life after death. It has to be, it's not life, it's life after death. There was life, there was a life. It has to die in order to resurrect. That boy had to die in order to resurrect. We, as young people, we have to be dead in order for this to work. In order for God to truly move and truly change your desire, that thing that you're fighting with, you know, we can say, you know that room, I'll say this, in your heart? We can all have had them in our times in our lives. The one that you're scared to open the door, that weakness that we know that we don't want to deal with or we don't think we can, the ugly room, the one with the skeletons in the closet. Jesus is not scared of that room. Jesus is not scared to go in that room. You have to open the door. But Jesus wants to come in and clean that room. He'll he'll come in, he'll take from corner to corner. It'll be a different room. It'll be a different color. It'll be a totally, if he has to blow the walls out to make it a bigger room. 
that room that we hold him out of. He's not scared of it. And he doesn't even come as the judge. He comes as your savior. He comes as the deliverer. He comes to say, I want to change that. If you'll just die out to yourself, I want to change that. If you'll shut the door behind you, if you'll empty out, I want to change that. Those jars had to be empty out before they could be filled with oil. I'll say Solomon's temple had to be prepared and then the glory of the Lord came down. And that little boy, in verse 35 it says, he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him and the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. He was alive and he was given back to his mother. Young person, I don't know where you're at and I don't know why this is on my heart other than I believe that God wants to say, if there's something, if you need a new birth, doesn't matter if you're in your room. When Jesus comes into your room, he makes all the difference. He can come into those four walls that you've stepped, you've been in and you might have done things that you're not proud of and there's things and there's things in your life that God wants to come and take that room. Welcome him into your room. He's got an invitation out. Accept it. Say, God, I want you. I welcome you into my room. I welcome you into my life. I welcome you onto my phone. I welcome you onto all these things that in my mind I can fight with. And in my life I can struggle with. My dreams, my desires, the, the path that I give it all to you. And God, lead me and guide me. Amen. God, take control of me. Make me what you want me to be. God has a way of directing our path and our steps. The Bible says if you acknowledge him, he'll direct your path. The footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. But let's get into righteousness. Let them be ordered of the Lord. Let them be God's way. Brother Branham says in the, in the church ages, right now it's a spiritual kingdom we, that we live in. Right now it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not of this world system even as we are not of this world. You're not of this world. We're in the world. We're around the world. Maybe the musicians can come. That's the reason we act different from the world, because we're not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. We reflect the spirit of the world of our rebirth, where Jesus is the king. That is why our women do not dress in men's clothing or cut their hair or use all those cosmetics and things that the world likes so much. That is why our men don't drink and smoke, and carry on in sin. If a kingdom is a kingdom, it has a dominion. It says, Brother Branham says, our dominion is the dominion over sin. And it is, through, it is in force through the power that is in the spirit of Christ that indwells us. Every kingdom on earth is going to be torn down, but ours will, be, ours will remain. I wonder if we could play, I give myself away. Let's all stand. I wonder if we could bow our heads and every eye closed. And if God's been speaking, if God's been moving or saying something, this is your moment to respond. God is a gentleman. He's not here to barge open a door like the police might or 
like the devil might try to in our minds, try to barge down the walls of our mind, and put all kinds of thing in, things in there whether we want it or not. But God broods on our heart. When God created the earth, the Holy Spirit, the Logos went and wooed over the earth. There was, a, there was a, an expression that wasn't forceful, but it was life coming forth. And God wants to come into your heart and into your life. He wants to brood over you. We can have our weaknesses, but God's bigger. We can have external circumstances that are things that tear us apart in our mind, things that are out of our control. But God puts peace on the inside. It doesn't matter what's happening around. God puts peace from the inside out. If there's something that you want to give and say, God, I want to empty out. Maybe you want to raise your hand. If there's something that you want to say, Lord, I want to shut the door on that. If you'd want to raise your hand. If there's someone that would need a new birth, a complete nature change, someone that's held back, someone that's been through so many things, someone that feels dead, life is here tonight. When Jesus comes into your room, when Jesus comes into your heart, it makes all the difference. It lives a life that you can't live on your own. It lives a life that I can't live on my own, but it just lives. pray, Lord Jesus, we welcome you tonight. We love you, Lord. We love you with all of our hearts, Lord Jesus. We give ourselves away, Lord. I want to empty myself out one more time, Lord Jesus. Lord, I want to shut the door, all the things that can catch my attention, Lord. I want to leave it behind. Let the curtain of the holiest of holies fall behind me and enter into that place with you. Enter into that booth with you. Brother Branham talked about a third pole with a little wooden box or a tent. And when they would go inside, they would come out the other side and something had happened. That's what I'm talking about tonight. To enter into that place with Jesus Christ where a power comes and a life comes. Oh God, I pray you'd brood on hearts. Lord, where there's someone that would hold back. Lord, don't let them hold back any longer. Lord, where there's someone that's struggling with someone, set them free. Something, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would come and you would move and that you would have the freedom to move. Lord, we welcome you into our hearts. We accept you into our hearts. We love you. We thank you. I give myself away. I give myself away. Oh, I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Oh, I give myself away so you. Yeah.